Hey, this is Richie, your host for Inside the Mind of an Entrepreneur. And today my guest is Lauren Sharon, all the way from the UK. Come and talk to me. And I had a chat with him. And he said to me during that conversation, he said, I'm putting the tissues on the table. He goes, you're in a safe space. You want to cry, you can cry in here, but do not ever cry out on the floor. You cannot afford to be seen as being emotional. I mean, I was I was really happy doing the job that I was doing, but I got to the point where my self-esteem, my self-confidence was so low, like literally overnight, it just suddenly disappeared. I went from being super confident, capable individual who was in the UK, I don't know about the US, but we have a massive gender pay gap. Someone who's so used to being the boss or being the leader or the one that helps everybody else, you don't ever think about stopping and ask, well, I, I, I'll rephrase that. I never ever used to think about stopping and asking for help. I always considered asking for help a sign of weakness. It was amazing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. See, I think the universe puts people, things in our, mm -hmm. in our path. So, you know, it takes us to that next level that we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. You couldn't write this stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to. That makes, that's what makes you so interesting, Lauren. <laughs> So, yeah. Right from here. Hi, this is Richie Pryor, and this is Inside the Mind of an Entrepreneur. And today I'm talking to Lauren, and uh, she's going to tell us uh, her amazing story about uh, how she ended up becoming an entrepreneur. And Thank Lauren, you. I'll let you take it away. Thank you so much, Richie. It's great to have the opportunity to chat with you and to share some of my stories. So, it was about three years ago that I left my six figure senior job in the corporate environment. I was working landing global transformational change programs and financial services. I had teams in India and America and I loved what I did. It was it was challenging, it was intellectually stimulating. I created amazing teams globally and I had great fun. I really enjoyed what I did. I was providing for my son. He was back then he was eight years of age and he has a Long, lifelong medical condition with his bladder and his kidneys and a, a few other things but he's well mm -hmm. he just gets regular checks up at the children's hospital and we we, we joke we say we have a frequent flyer pass <laughs> love that so we're in and out of there but it's great they're an incredible team and if it wasn't for them he wouldn't be here but his dad left when i was six months pregnant i had to make a decision about whether or not to carry on with the pregnancy because there were multiple problems with the baby and sadly, his dad at the time um, decided that that was one decision too far. And he kind of went off in his direction. And I had to make a decision about whether to carry on with the baby. Wow. So clearly I did. And I have a strapping 12-year-old boy now who plays rugby for his school. He plays cricket. He's in the top set for academic subjects. Um, you know, he's, he's defied all the odds. So, you know... Um, when he was born, I was a personal trainer and sports therapist. I worked with people like Dustin Hoffman, Anastasia. I traveled a lot. I traveled really? That yeah. Is, that is so fascinating. Um, I don't know if people listening remember Live Aid. Um, yep, I yeah. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was in London working backstage, getting all the performers ready to go on stage, making sure they were limbered up and ready to go. Um, and that was the type of thing that I did. But when my son came along, I realized I had to go back to the corporate world because I couldn't travel anymore. I basically had to get a job that meant if I needed to be in hospital with him, I could be in the hospital at the drop of a hat. So you needed that freedom and flexibility. 
That's right. So I went back to what we class as a nine to five over here. Never ever is nine to five, but no such thing as that. <laughs> <laughs> Not ever. Um, but I went back as a as, as a nine to five office based job, and I was contracting, um, which was which was great because I had the flexibility and freedom to do deliver the job but not get caught up in the politics of the business so that's that's a really unique position and it's great fun i worked for a few firms i had a great great team and the people that were working my team tended to follow me to the, the next job the next contract that i picked up i landed in one particular firm which is one of the big four banks over here and whatever happened the chemistry with everyone in, around me was great and I worked there for nearly four years and then, sorry, nearly three years. My boss left, he went to another firm and um, once his uh, cooling off period was finished, I was able to go and work with him at the new firm. So we worked together for nearly three years there. So we had uh, nearly four years, so I'm getting it mixed up today. That's fine. We had nearly seven years of working together. Wow. That's a and, long history. That's Yeah, yeah that's, great. Mm -hmm. You know, he would give me all his problem child. <laughs> complex or tricky or we had difficult stakeholders or he'd just go here you go and I would go okay here we go again <laughs> and you know sure enough I would go away I'd build the team I'd deliver the programs of work that we had to do and always just give them updates of where the problems were and what we're going to do about it but we always landed in time cost and quality so it was great so I kind of I kind of was sailing I had this great opportunity um i was doing really well and they wanted me to become a permanent member of staff rather than the contractor so i went through all the psychometrics and went through all the interviews and after five months of interviews with everyone right up to the top guy um i got offered a post so did you want did you want to have that did you want it permanent i didn't mind whether i was contract or permanent the most important thing for me was i earned enough money to look after my son and i had enough flexibility to be able to be there for him when I needed to without anyone yanking my chain. Gotcha. So as long as I was intellectually stimulated and I had lots of complex work to do, um, I was quite happy. Um, but not long after I'd gone permanent, I found myself kind of doubting what I was doing and I was finding it trickier to get time in my boss's diary. I found that making decisions was getting tougher so when you just, I want to just go back a little bit. When you said you were having trouble, um, I forgot how you put it. Uh, if that was what you wanted to do, you said something to the effect of that. You weren't sure if that was what you wanted to do. In terms of in the terms, job? Yeah, in terms of the job you were doing. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was really happy doing the job that I was doing, but I got to the point where my self-esteem, my self-confidence was so low like literally overnight, it just suddenly disappeared. I went from being super confident, capable individual who was in the UK, I don't know about the US, but we have a massive gender pay gap. Mm -hmm. And I was probably the highest paid at my grade, as far as I understand. So um, there weren't many women. It, you know, pretty much I was one of one female in a team of 18 men. Wow. So, and I know that as far as I understand, I was pretty much the highest paid because so, that's how much they wanted me on board. So why did you think, could you put any kind of thought to why you had that, that problem with self-esteem and self-confidence? Because clearly you were successful at what you were doing. 
Sure. So I won some great awards. I had amazing bonuses, bonuses that I didn't even know that people get paid, you know, more than some people earn in a year. Wow. And um, things were great. So it was a real shock to me to find myself walking into my boss's office and then bursting into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't do that when you're a leader in a business. Mm. And my team, my, my, my staff were amazing. They were really supportive. But then I found that my peer group and my seniors were no longer inviting me to meetings or no longer talking to me in meetings. And I couldn't maybe get time with people I needed critical decisions from. And one thing led to another. So first of all, you take a bit of confidence knock. Then people don't seem to be engaging with you. So then your self-esteem takes a knock. Then you start getting anxious. Then you stop sleeping. And it kind of becomes this great big spiral whereby you, you just, I, I personally thought I had early onset dementia. Uh-huh. So after quite significant negotiations with work, I had some time out, which was the first time in my life um, I'd ever had time out. And ultimately, I just felt like there was a complete breakdown in communications between myself and my boss. And I felt like I had to move to another division in the business. So do you think, you know, looking back at that, that time, do you think it was um, when you said that people weren't, you weren't getting invited into meetings and stuff, was it more males that weren't inviting you and weren't like accepting of, you know, you know, the, the challenges that you were having or was it females and males? To be honest, I work in a heavily male dominated environment. There weren't many females in, in my space. Okay. And I don't know whether people just kind of thought, oh, she's not herself mm-hmm. and just didn't want to be associated with someone that wasn't on their A-game. Got you. And did anybody ever ask you, you know, at a personal level, like how you were doing? Or was it just, <laughs> yeah, the way you're laughing, it is no. <laughs> I, I had, there was one guy who was a peer of my boss. So he was one grade above me. And I don't know what it was, but he just said to me one day, look, if you ever want to have a chat, you know, come and talk to me. And I had a chat with him. And he said to me during that conversation, he said, I'm putting the tissues on the table. He goes, you're in a safe space. You want to cry, you can cry in here, but do not ever cry out on the floor. You cannot afford to be seen as being emotional. Hmm. He said, I'll always be here for you. And there's no benefit to him because I didn't work for his team. And we had a really good conversation. He turned around, he turned around and said to me, I think you're trying too hard because you're a single female in a senior leadership role and you're also a single parent, a sole parent. And I think you need to stop trying so hard. And when you need time out, take it. When my son was critically ill, um, he was in hospital, tubed up to, you know, every bit of his body was linked to something. And I literally had my laptop, my Blackberry, and my mobile, and my nanny brought in all my chargers for me. And I carried on working while my son was on death, on his deathbed, allegedly, although clearly he wasn't, you know. And forgive me, because I, I, I recognize that, you know, your journey too. Yeah, yeah, no worries at all. So at, at that point, was it apparent to you when, I mean, did you realize that, that, you know, your son was that sick and you were, and you were working right, like right there in the room with him? How, how, would, how did that, how did you put your mind around that? I just did it. I didn't think. So you were like on autopilot. 
I was on autopilot from the minute my partner left until the day I left work. Wow. Wow, yep. that's 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 tough. You know, you 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 can recognize other people when they're surviving and they're not thriving. But when you're someone who's so used to being the boss or being the leader or the one that helps everybody else, you don't ever think about stopping and ask. Well, I, I I'll rephrase that. I never ever used to think about stopping and asking for help. I always considered asking for help a sign of weakness. Yes. And I recognize that not asking for help is a sign of weakness. So do you think that's a global belief by a lot of, you know, women in corporate, in the corporate world that, you know, asking for help is a sign of weakness and they don't want to see, they don't want to, you know, put themselves out there like that because of, you know, the male dominated environment that they're working in. Sure. I think we can take a little bit further back if that's okay with you. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. So we, in the, in the Western world, and I'll just, I'll just say Western world, my belief is that my experience of the clients I work with is that we work in a very patriarchal society. We work in an environment where less so in America, much more so still in the UK, where business was set up by men. They had offices and they went in at nine and they came home at five, roughly. And the wife had her duties and the man, had, the husband had his duties traditionally. And everything was quite clear, quite simple. That doesn't exist anymore. We have women doing the jobs that men used to do, and we have men doing jobs women used to do, and we have all genders, we have all, you know, every shade of everything doing whatever they put their mind to doing, which is absolutely fantastic and just as it should be. Exactly. And I, and I feel like, you know, people say we're not going anywhere as a, as a human race in the world. And I say we are. Mm. We are evolving. Mm-hmm. Just in that case, you, just that point you made just now, it's, it's incredible what everybody's doing right now. It is amazing. But we still have this bricks and mortar, nine to five, office space environment that isn't conducive for the kind of hormonal cycles that a woman goes through when she's pregnant when she's nursing, when she's going through menopause, she's going through a monthly cycle. We need to change the environment that we work in. We need to grow and evolve, not just the roles that we're playing, but also the environment we're creating for those roles, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely does. And I believe we have some things here. I'm, I've been out of the corporate world for years, but mm-hmm. I think there is some, you know, leave for uh, maternity leave that they can take a year off of something to that effect. I don't know mm-hmm. if they have those same things in, in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nowadays it's really changed a lot quite recently. So not only can they have 12 months off, but that time can be split between the mother and father. Mm, nice. So it can be paternity leave or maternity leave and they can decide which which months out of the 12 months that they each take off. And the same if you adopt a child now as well, you can also have parental leave for that. Oh, so, that's that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's very good. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of basically got to the point after about 18 months, um, I was still leading large-scale global transformation programs, and I got to the point where I actually thought I had early-onset dementia. So at that point, after the negotiations, I ultimately decided that, you know, this is not fair to me. It's not fair to my son because ultimately I'm going to end up rocking the corner somewhere in some nursing home while my son, aged eight, was going to have to be brought up by somebody else. Oh, that's um, tough. 
that's yeah. tough to, to come to that realization. That's yeah. scary. scary. So I left work. <laughs> <laughs> I left work and I had time. <laughs> you had time. So when you, when you thought about leaving work, I mean, all of us entrepreneurs had that time, that time that we knew it was time to leave and go do something on our own. What, were you listening to any stories in your head about why I shouldn't do this? And why it doesn't make sense? Why it's crazy to do this? Or was it just, I'm going to do it and no matter what, I don't care? Um, there's a little bit more complexity behind that insofar as I had been on my own all, you know, for that first seven, eight years of my son's life. Mm -hmm. And I was in a relationship with someone who basically had said to me, if you carry on working the way you are, we will be divorced before we're married. Mm. And he was incredibly keen that I changed my working style so with his support i think it was much easier for me to make the decision to step away had i been on my own i can probably put my hand on my heart and tell you that i would not have left that job wow um sadly he wasn't around for much longer after i left <laughs> he, he, he dealt with lauren in crises really well but he didn't deal with lauren getting her strength back quite so well but he served his need he served well his, you know you know, I at that time, you need, you need somebody like that to, you know, to give you that, you know, that strength to say, you know, I, I can do this. Oh, I he was amazing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. See, I think the universe puts people, things in our, mm -hmm. in our path. So, you know, it takes us to that next level that we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. You couldn't write this stuff, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to. That makes, that's what makes you so interesting, Laura. <laughs> So, yeah, so I left and um, I went to my doctor. And my doctor, similar age to me, he's a triathlete, um, he's got a young family, and we had a great conversation. And I was kind of still that kind of slightly rocking back and forth in the chair, slightly going, oh my goodness, you know, I, I'm really not well. And oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And he asked me some questions and he figured out that I'd just been through the menopause. So he said, I think you've just been through the menopause. And I was like, going, I've just been through the what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you said, had, and you had thought it was what, early stage dementia? Early yeah. Early dementia? Yeah. yeah. So you, you had self-diagnosed yourself. Absolutely. Dr. Google's wonderful. Dr. Google. Yes, I love that. Dr. Google. <laughs> okay. Okay, continue. That's, that's great. I love Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of looked at my doctor and I kind of went, I went from being this kind of, shriveling wreck who was in tears every two minutes who was literally folded arms across my chest rocking back and forth in the chair to sitting bolt upright feet firmly on the floor hands out in front of me looking my doctor straight in the eye going i know what i need to do <laughs> it was insane i just like i have to stop any other woman going through what i've just been through no other woman should leave a six-figure salary job because they're going through a natural life stage this is insane wow that's, that's incredible that you had that epiphany right there at that moment. Yeah. In the doctor's office. He wasn't very impressed with me. <laughs> <laughs> he did suggest I took a bit of time to look after myself. And he did sort of suggest that if I didn't take some time out and look after me, I might end up in hospital having a nervous breakdown. And then he would look after my son. So that was the slap across the face, metaphorically, and, and the wake-up call. 
and you weren't going to stand for any of that. No, I listened to him. He shocked me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So because I'd been in the type of job that I had, although I was my son's in a private school, um, I had a mortgage, I had school fees, I had nanny fees, I had, you know, I was, I was paying people basically to do all the things that partnerships would normally do. So right. I had a gardener and a housekeeper, the nanny, I had a, a babysitter, I had school fees, I had the mortgage, all the usual bills. Um, but when I sat down and worked out what I needed to earn, if I was a mum, and not just this crazy working person, I didn't have to earn that much. Exactly. You hit that so on the nose when I talked to other entrepreneurs is that, you know, and I came from the corporate world too, and I had built up this extravagant lifestyle that I was living, but I was, it was coming at a price. Yeah. You know, it was coming at a price of my freedom, uh, family time, being present with my family, taking a vacation and being actually on vacation and not, you know, being attached to my cell phone. But when you get down to it and you really look at your expenses, man, what, what do you need to live and, and have, a, have a, a life filled with freedom? You don't need that much. No, no. And, but although I would love to have a gardener, though. <laughs> see, I could see value in that because I hate mowing my lawn. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a 120-year-old, no, 100-year-old property and a 100-year-old garden, oh which is not huge, but it's 80 feet long and I've got apple trees and oh, um, wow. what are they called? Plum trees and I've got all sorts in there. And um, I definitely need a hand to kind of keep on top of that. But, um, you know, it's amazing when you step back and you allow help to come your way that people step in and step up and, and just give you a lending hand. That's, that's, that's bringing amazing. That's people, that universe. Mm. When you open yourself up and, and you allow things to come in, because a lot of us are so closed off so much of the time, especially we're in that stressful environment. Like, like I'm sure you were just closed off from everything in that corporate world, just running from thing to thing and, and working constantly, not nine to five, nine to 10. And then on the weekends mm -hmm. as well. And whenever we never open ourselves up to allow other things to come in. It wouldn't even have crossed my mind. I remember when I left work, my best friend, who um, she is a stay-at-home mom. She's separated from her partner, but he provides for her and their child. And she, she works, but she, she works like small hours during school time. And she said to me, when I, after I left work, she said, I wouldn't trade my life for all the tea in China for what you've been doing for the last eight years. Hmm. As far as you being in that job, mm -hmm. you know, that's, she that's scrimps and saves and she takes her son on holiday and she does great stuff with him and she spends time with him and they are so close and don't get me wrong. My son, not, you know, any spare time I did have, I spent with my son, but, um, she just said, I would for all you, she said, you couldn't pay me a big enough sum to do what you've been doing for the last eight years. I'm so glad you've finally woken up and smelled the roses. How did that make you feel when, you say, when she said that to you? Um, I was slightly defiant at first. Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, yes, well, it's okay if you'd say that. You've got someone that's you know, contributing. And that's it's right. okay if you'd say that because you didn't have to. And it's okay if you'd say that. You've got a child that's really sick. And it's okay. They were, you know, and I, I shared that with her. Because, and then the penny dropped the penny drops and I just 
broke down in floods of tears. And I kind of went, oh my goodness, I've missed eight years of my son's life. Well, that's, that's our brain telling us that we missed that time. I mean, sure. you know, it's, I try not to think about that stuff. I mean, you were providing, you were doing, we do, we do the best we can with the resources and the situation we're in at the time. Sure. You know, saying we have regrets about anything, there's, there's no way because without all that stuff that you went through, you would not be doing what you love and helping women, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm kind of saying? That's, that's how I, that's what I kind of, how I kind of feel about things like that. When I say, oh, I wasted five years doing this business that really didn't do anything for anybody, but it got me to this point. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't regret it. I don't have any regrets, but the interesting thing is that even when I was working in the corporate world, I never missed a rugby match. I never missed a cricket match. I never missed a hockey match. I never missed a recital. Um, I always spent, my son's at school six days a week. So I always spent Sundays with him. I always invested time with him on a Sunday. And we had really good quality time. We did lots of great stuff together. We had great holidays. We've traveled all over the world together. Um, But I recognize now, and actually I read something on Facebook today. Someone put a post out there. Um, It was some guy I posted and he his father used to always call him at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. And then he decided one day he was going to call him at eight thirty to surprise him. So he phoned up and his mother answered and said, Oh, your dad's just come home. He's just gone upstairs to get washed and changed and freshen up. I saw him look, mum, don't worry. Um, you have dinner and then I'll chat to dad. And she goes, no, 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 sweetheart. He never has dinner until he's spoken to all the children. And I thought that was really moving. And it showed that it was so important for that father to be able to hear all his children's voices before he tuned into his wife for the rest of the night. That's, that's, that's so beautiful. You know? and, and then looking back in, in retrospect, to what your, was it your friend that said that to you? She wouldn't trade your life for anything? Sure, yeah. You know, but I, I think, Lauren, that maybe she didn't really know you that well because did she know you were, were at every recital, every rugby match? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She, she just saw that I was always tired, always mm-hmm. on the go. Always, you know, I'd get up at 5 o'clock, I'd be training, you know, up at 5, get to work for um, quarter to 6, do my training, be at my desk by half past 7, eat my breakfast, start my meetings, finish at 7, 8 o'clock at night, get home or stay overnight if I had late meetings and always asking you know the nanny to stay over or you know she didn't see me picking up and dropping off at school uh-huh. she saw me at the weekends i used to see her every sunday that we take the boys out together and you know i would be one of the dark circles under my eyes and she'd be like <laughs> right and easy um, and she's kind of like you know this is not this is not a life but at the time, I just couldn't see any other way. I didn't want, when, I, when my son was born, um, the hospital, I don't know what, what the equivalent in America is, but in the US, in the UK, sorry, the hospital were so worried about my son not developing normally or surviving. They assigned me a social worker and they assigned me somebody to help me understand what benefits I could claim because they did not want me to go back to work. They said, look, your son might not survive a day, a week, a month. So could you please just focus on him? Wow. And we will help you get, you know, the support that you need to be able to do that. Yeah. They don't do and anything like that here. Mm, well, I, I kind of remember sitting in those meetings going, you know, no matter how long he does or does not survive, 
I want to set an example for him. I want him to show that you take what you've got and you go out there and you make your own way in the world. And I couldn't, I couldn't just take benefits and stay at home. Now that may or may not, you know, I'm not going to question whether that was right or wrong. It was the right decision at that time for me. Um, and if I hadn't made that, we might not, not be having this conversation today, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that, but that's, that's such an amazing value. You know, did you say take what you have and, and go make it in the world? That's, that's incredible. I love that. So, yeah. So I left and I had a few weeks of kind of thinking what's next. And I trained as a coach. I was already, I already have a strong psychology background, a strong um, general management and um, transformation, senior level transformation background. I have my personal training, my sports therapy, my nutritional stuff. And um, I was like, you know, when you put all that stuff together, I've kind of got quite a good skill set. You're a badass. <laughs> right that's I what i call a badass all those skills that's 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 that that would be uh you would be doing a disservice to to mankind by not you know giving those gifts and, and helping helping other women you know that's go ahead sorry sorry you're too kind you're too kind <laughs> every 10 years i kind of change what i do so i kind of pick up stuff along the way but i i kind of i was having a conversation with um craggy I'm trying to think, I was talking to one of my friends and she just kind of went, yeah, you don't really need much more training to go and help people. And I was like, no, 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 I need to, I need to retrain someone who specializes in this area and I need to learn all about it. So I did, I went off and I, I joined the British Menopause Society. I did a lot of training that the doctors and the nurses do over here in menopause. So I understood the medical side. I retrained as a business coach and a coach in education. I retrained as a life coach. And I started doing some nice coaching work. It was good fun. Totally unfulfilling. Um, I mean, it was fun, but it was like, now I'm not, I'm not helping women going through what I went through. I was helping people, but it wasn't, wasn't hitting the spot. Right. And, and, and you know that, you know, yeah. that when, you, when you help, cause I did that too. You know, I did my health coaching, life coaching, business certification. And in the first, in the beginning I started doing health coaching and I was talking to people and it's like, okay, that, there's got to be more, you know, there's yeah. got to be more. And that's, I, I kind of sense that that's, that's what you were feeling at the end of a conversation. Sure. You helped somebody, but it wasn't, it didn't, you know, fill, fulfill your need. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of stepping away from the corporate world is that you've got the choice to be able to finesse that and fine tune it. So then I find HCI and I train as a health coach. And then there were elements of everything that I'd done that suddenly fell into place. And interestingly, um, I was too scared to go back to my previous um, financial services firm that I'd worked for and say, look, you know, this is what I went through. I didn't recognize it. You didn't recognize it. You lost an asset. I lost a job. It cost you a lot of money. It's cost me a lot of emotional pain. If we work differently together, the outcome could have been so much more positive for both of us. And I, I just didn't have the, I didn't have the mental fortitude to be able to go and have that conversation, but it's what I want. It's what I needed to do to heal. So I started going to other organizations and saying, Hey, you know what? I have a case study here that I'd love to share with you. You could save a lot of money, productivity, efficiency, effectiveness, you know, um, and I started working with organizations and showing them what they could do and how they could do it. 
incorporated coaching, incorporated, incorporated talking and workshops. And I loved it. So my business ended up becoming working one-to-one -one with women to support them in similar jo jobs that I had, educating businesses. And then very recently, as you know, in November this year, for the first time ever, I got up on stage in front of a fairly large audience and talked. And you never did that before? No. You could have fooled me. No. Really? Um, I stood backstage with the hosts and they're sitting there cool as cucumbers in their dressing gowns, ready to go on stage. And I'm sat there going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. <laughs> and all the other speakers had their scripts on the, you call it a teleprompter? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. so at the dress rehearsal, I was freaking out so much. I just said to the tech team, I said, take my script off the teleprompter, take my photographs off the teleprompter because I was so worried about not clicking through my speech at the right time and not putting right photographs up at the right part of the speech that I, I just went into meltdown. I thought, I can't do it, I can't do it. So what was your biggest fear, Lauren, at that point? Because a, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're so scared of getting up in front of talking to people. What, what was the biggest fear that you had at that moment, you know, when you got into- that, that I'd go blank. That you could blank. That I'd just stand there looking like a complete idiot in front of all these people. <laughs> yeah. And honest to God, what's the worst thing that could happen if you blanked a little bit? Uh, nothing. Nothing, exactly. You know, are you ever going to see those people again? Well, we'll see you at the next event in a couple of months, probably. But we won't remember that. No, it was, it was a very, it was one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever had. I do a lot of media work. I do some television. I do a lot of radio. Um, I do a lot of um, bits and pieces for, for different companies, blogging and, and stuff like that. So I don't have a fear of putting my message out there, but there was something about standing up in front of what, 7,800 people? I don't know how many people were there. Yeah. And let's just call it shy of a thousand because that was what was going on in my head. And backstage, it was just like disconnect. <laughs> it was just weird. And then when the host went out and announced me to go on to do my talk, and she stood outstretched with the clicker, and I just went, no, no, I'm not using the clicker. I was like going, no, don't give me the clicker. No, don't give me the clicker. <laughs> you and were freaked like, out more about the clicker than you were about the audience. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I stood in the middle of the stage, and I looked from the right to the left and back to the middle, and I went, this is mine. It's my time. And I've never felt so at home, so happy, and so contented with being on stage and talking to people. I was able to reach so many people in that minute, or not that minute, but in that talk. You reached me, but I want to know what, <laughs> what, what, what happened between backstage and then saying, don't even, I don't even want to look at that clicker. What was going through your mind? How did you get and just get, become at ease with yourself and just settle in there and felt at home? What did you tell yourself? The minute the clicker was put on the table and I didn't have to worry about it anymore, <laughs> I was like, it's mine. It's my time. I own this. I own this. I love it. And I think there's like a millisecond before I start talking where you can see me kind of nodding my head and inside my head, I'm just going, I own this. It's my time. I love that. I love that. Uh, you, were, you were overpowering your ego that wanted to say, 
oh, this is terrible. You shouldn't be doing this. You got to be safe. You got to go backstage. As, was there a moment when you thought that I'm not even going to speak, I'm going to leave? No, once I got on, yeah, yeah before I got on stage. Yes. yes. Tell me about that because I've been there that it's like, okay, there's the stage and there's the door. And if I leave, they'll never see me again. I'll never <laughs> talk to them again. And that'll be all right. Because <laughs> I'll avoid this pain that's, uh, that I'm, I'm so looking at. This is going to be so much pain. Yeah, I, um, um, how can I put it? I think that I knew one of the speakers had done this before. And another one of the speakers was a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was just willing them on to win. And in my head, I'll be really honest, I was in the US. So it wasn't part of my UK audience. I was in the US and I was thinking, wow, do you know what? There's nothing to lose because if this goes belly up, it's quite a safe, safe space to practice. <laughs> I never have to go back there again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from that point of view, I wasn't terrified about getting on stage and I wasn't petrified about messing up. I just kind of felt that it was, I was so fortunate and so grateful to have the opportunity to be able to practice doing a talk in front of that many people right. that I thought, you know what, what's the good that can come out of this? What's the positive that can come out of this? And if the worst case scenario happened and I froze, then I froze then I would know that the approach I'd taken had to be changed the next time. That's it. I love that. Like resourcefulness, doing something different, doing something different the next time to move forward. Because what I, what I like to say is if we're not doing something uncomfortable, we're not growing. Mm-hmm. You know, because the people that, that, you know, stay safe, they never mm-hmm. grow. They never grow, you know, their lives, their businesses. They just, they just kind of meander around in that, that place of mediocrity. You know, they just, they don't go forward. Yeah, so important to get into that stretch. So not to get too far that you get frozen, but to go far enough to, to stretch you and allow you to grow. So you made an amazing speech. And uh, that, like I said, it was, it, was, it was incredible. Very inspiring. You did reach a lot of people. Thank you. And thank you for that. No, it was great. It's like, oh, I'm voting for her. I'm not even listening to anybody else. <laughs> oh, oh, everyone was amazing. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. It was a good, great group of great group of ladies. Very, very nice. Very nice. Thank you. So you got you got the speech done. And so let's just talk a little bit about business. You know, mm-hmm. how are things going? Um, any obstacles that you've come up against? You know, since you started the business, any yeah. bad advice somebody gave you? Any great advice somebody gave you? Yeah, that's 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 really good question. So in terms of advice, I'm not very good at asking or taking it. I have this very strong belief that if I have an idea and I want to go and do it, and this is, by the way, any of my business coaching clients listening, do not listen to this. <laughs> we'll have to find out a way to block them so they can't hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I decided sitting in my doctor's office, I was going to go and help women going through menopause. I decided in that doctor's office, I was going to help businesses understand how to embrace the menopause of women and support their male staff who were maybe living with somebody or who had a mother, sister, I don't know, whatever, going through menopause. And I actually don't care what the rule book says. I don't care what you should do in business. And I don't care what other people think. 
my message and my 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 mission is way bigger than rules and boundaries and me and if it wasn't I would never have been able to stand on that stage and speak I would never have gone on the BBC and done programs with them or Sky News it's just too important it's too big a phase and stage of life for me to stay quiet and I did some I did some um, training with somebody who said to me if you're going to put yourself out in the public eye it doesn't matter whether it's talking or media, you know, whatever you do. If you're going to put yourself out there, be prepared for 50% of people to hate you. Mm-hmm. And that's a strong word. Yeah. And 50% of people to maybe like or love you. And as long as that balance is 50-50, you're doing well. Now, I don't know what the future is going to bring. But I'm sitting in the 99% of people favorable at the moment. And that just reinforces to me that I'm on the right path. So, yeah, I just, I just feel like there's something that needs to be done. I might not do, be doing it in the best way. I might not be the best person to do it. But I feel like there's something that needs to be done. And I just want to do my bit in that space. I mean, I, I love that. I love what, what you just said. I mean, just talk, get back to the rules. I mean, I think there were too many rules. Yeah. And, and as entrepreneurs, that's one of our instincts is to break the rules mm-hmm. because all these, these great people, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, all these great minds, uh, they, they break the rules and mm-hmm. rules, rules are like, they're like guidelines. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I don't believe in any rules, you know, as far as business is concerned, if you're mm-hmm. not breaking them, you're not doing the best you can to, to serve, serve your audience, serve your clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the, we live, we're living in such a rapidly changing world that if you're passionate about something, just go and do it. You know, you might, you might get a few cuts and abrasions along the way, but so what? That's right. It makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's good. It's, it feels good to be out there and just kind of helping people open their eyes, open their ears, and, you know, grow and embrace life stages, changes. So was there any point once you started this, you know, started the coaching of women and, and, you know, doing the businesses, did you ever come to a point where you you thought to yourself, you had a second thought about, am I doing the right thing? Because a lot of entrepreneurs do have that. They start second guessing themselves when they start getting into their, Getting into their, you know, getting into the business a little. Do you ever come to that point? Oh no. Mm, that's that, that's really interesting um, for me to reflect on that because I have no doubt that what I'm doing is the right thing. Um, there have been times when I've gone, am I doing it the right way? So, unlike sometimes when I'm working with solo, solopreneurs or entrepreneurs, they just haven't found what they want to do yet. I know that I want to raise awareness about menopause and help women through menopause. So my challenge is, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing the right, am I taking the right approach? Is my tone right? My communication style right? What do I need to tweak? What do I need to change? And certainly I have questions, um, which might be a better answer to your question, which is last summer um, I had been, I had a really successful first quarter, second quarter of the year. Suddenly in the summer, the, 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 the sky fell out. And I didn't have enough money coming in. I didn't know how I was going to pay my son's school fees. 
and I suddenly kind of went, okay, I need to start applying for contracts again. So I probably applied for 20 contracts a day. Wow. Back when I was contracting, I only had to pick up the phone to one person and I'd have 20 offers on the table. So I was literally applying for 100 contracts a week for the whole summer because everything just went belly up. Um, there was stuff going on with my son. There was stuff going on um, at home. And I was like, okay, I, I need to, if I go and stack shelves in a supermarket, I just have to get work to bring money in. And Whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't care. I'll sweep the streets, I'll clean the toilets, I'll stack shelves, I'll take a contract because that pays more. Um, but I was, in, I was in that place where I was like, okay, this needs to become a hobby again. Whilst I go and get six months worth of good money in to be able to give me time to build this up again. So yes, I was definitely in a space where um, I, I had no idea how I was going to make ends meet. But I was not going to be detracted from the mission. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Because a lot of people find themselves in that, that space, you know, every now and then it's, you know, we call it winter, mm. you know, when, when winter comes, you know, you're prepared for the winter. And a lot of times it's, it's hard to prepare for everything. And mm -hmm. then we do whatever it takes. I'll go get a contract job. If I got to go drive an Uber, I'll go mm -hmm. drive an Uber to make, to make uh, so I can pay my rent or mortgage, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but you know that's that's you know I've been brought up. You know, you, you you pay your way, you you work hard, and you work hard and play hard, right? That's right, that's right. So I got another question. Just looking back, was there anybody that had the, like the biggest influence on your life and you know what you're doing right now? Is there anybody that you could think about? Yeah, there, there's two people that well, three people that come to mind. Um, the chap that I was involved with who said we'd be divorced before we were married. If I didn't. <laughs> yeah. He played a pretty significant role. Um, then I would say my doctor, when he said, if you don't stop and look after yourself, you'll end up in hospital having a nervous breakdown. Um, that was a metaphorical slap across the face. And I respected him enough to listen. And then more recently, last summer, I worked with this 28-year-old sales coach who is unbelievably successful. At, I such, a, at such a young age? Yes. Wow. She made, it, she made it in the corporate world really early on, and then she realized actually she had something about training other people. So I invested in uh, some time with her, and she really opened my eyes to the world of sales. And it wasn't anything I didn't already know. But she just took away the excuses, the procrastination, the messing about. And um, yeah, she's, I have, I, I find it very difficult, and this might sound awful to say this, but I find it quite difficult to respect people or to really look up to people because um, we're just all equals at the end of the day. Yeah. But this girl's got something. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm doing a couple of days with her at the end of January just to finalize my plans for 2019. Um, she's, she doesn't take any BS at all. Sorry, I want to make sure my language is clean. <laughs> <She just laughs> I would, takes, I would love to get her on my, I would love to get her on my podcast. You got to share, share her name with me later. I will do. Uh, 
so so you know yeah just like you know just you touched on procrastination and i see i see that a little bit in myself it's so easy especially for entrepreneurs that we procrastinate on the thing on a lot of things and we put the things the easy things on the top mm-hmm. and the hard things we put down the bottom because they're the most challenging they make us feel uncomfortable do you have any do you have any kind of uh, process or um flow that you use to to tack to tackle the big ones and not procrastinate for myself or for my clients yeah, for yourself um so today was my first proper day back at work i've been doing bits and pieces for the last couple of days but i sat down and i wrote down um i'm just going to open it up while i'm talking to you so i wrote down what does 2019 look like for me 2019 looks like four training events, personal training events each week, one sauna and swim, which is my self-care, one focused activity with my son, and one social event every week. Oh, I love that. So that was me putting me first for the first time ever in my life. So those times have been scheduled in my diary for the whole year. I've then scheduled my son's school holidays and I've booked at least one week off during his school holidays. So um, Easter, summer and winter. Then I want to do five discovery calls each week, five corporate conversations each week, one top podcast or media piece of work each week. Thank you, by the way. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Six hours of study, 12 hours of coaching, eight hours of corporate delivery, three hours of social media, and two hours of admin. Holy shit. That's a lot of right. stuff. So wow. that's all scheduled and booked for the whole year. That's fantastic. And I really love it. And I want to just appreciate how much you, you're taking your, your own personal care and, and time with your son before any of the business stuff. I think that's incredible. Putting that yeah. stuff time in, that time in first, the time for you. And then the other stuff is going to come secondary. Because what yeah. are we doing it for? What are we doing all this other stuff for if we can't you know, make time for the stuff we love? I had a wake up call. I'm very lucky. We don't all get that wake up call. And so that's, so in terms of getting over the procrastination, I use, I use a planner like many of us do, but I like, I like to hand write stuff down. So in my planner every day, uh, well, at the beginning of every week, I schedule all that stuff in. So I schedule January because I do it online for the year and then I do it manually or written down for a month at a time. And I have, I have highlighters, so I've got different colors. My training time is brown. Um, my son's time is navy. My social time is pink. My CTDs are brown. I've got different colors for everything. <laughs> so my challenge to myself is, again, I want to know that all the things I put in my diary every week, either on my calendar online or in my diet or my planner, that I have highlighted them all off. That is amazing. That is so organized. I love it because I am. I have... Myself, I have uh, like an OCD complex as far as organization <laughs> skills. My wife, it drives my wife crazy, but you know, it, it, it works out very well for me because I need to have things planned out, you know, and organized. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I love that. I love the color coordination. I'm the same way. I have a hundred different, uh, you know, highlight colors. So, and everything's got their own little color. Perfect. <laughs> very, very cool. So this is this has been like so incredible. Um, you want to talk like for a minute or so about you know how you're helping the businesses and, and who your ideal client is. I'd love to, for you to share that with everybody. 
Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. So I, I largely work with large organizations, with corporate firms, and I'm looking to work with any teams that are open to their, we call it diversity and inclusion work over in the US, in the UK. Sorry, I'm working in the US and the UK at the moment, because I'm working with people like Deutsche Bank and Barty Garden. I'm doing and at the moment with some of the cultural language, so sorry. That's so, all right. I'm looking to I'm looking to go into organizations and I do different types of talks and different types of workshops one to explain what menopause is explain what the and share what the 34 different symptoms of menopause are how, how many 34 34 do you have mm -hmm. those li do you have those listed anywhere on my website on womenofacertainstage.com okay awesome so i just do exactly, I get that reaction all the time. So women, women say to me, thank goodness we're finally talking about this. And men say to me, once they understand it, you might just have saved my marriage. <laughs> That's a, I want to go get the list now. I'm going to just go make sure everything's <laughs> in alignment. <laughs> so on the corporate side, it's about raising awareness. It's about giving management training. It's about making sure that people are, from the minute they're recruiting somebody from the recruitment ads all the way through, the life journey of an uh, employee that we make sure that menopause is on the agenda and if you know even everything from the advert to the exit interview how do you incorporate that with mental health with menopause and then so that's one aspect of my work so let me yeah. just let me just, before you get on to the second one just let me interrupt you for a second getting back to the business and corporate uh do you see yourself in engagements like long-term engagement contracts with, with uh, corporations that you could be a source for them if they have, you know, women in their organizations that are going through menopause to somebody to talk to and get some yeah. coaching around. Do you do that stuff as well? Yeah, that's the second phase. So first of all, it's about educating business, raising awareness across the organization, helping them with their cultural change and having the right communications and information available on their intranet or their equivalent. Then it's about saying, okay, if you have someone whose behavior is changing and they may not recognize it like I didn't, or you're just seeing someone's dynamics change and they're falling into, you know, I'll get, I give them categories that they can check off to see whether it's thyroid or menopause or whatever. And then I just offer to do an introductory call with them to see if we can just get that employee refocused or whether they need some additional help. And then I can identify whether they need medical intervention, whether they need some coaching, or whether they need something else. And that's really powerful because if you think, if someone's a senior leader in business, it's going to cost six figures for them, well, certainly in the UK. Um, if someone's going to leave, then there's going to be a lot of money changing hands. Then you're going to lose the loss of performance of the team, the replacement of the member of staff, you're losing the loss of skills, knowledge, and experience. So when you start working out the economical cost to that, it's the right thing to do to look after your employee and financially it makes sense as well. And from a, from a human perspective, it just, it, it makes sense, you know, at the, I think at the top of all sure. that, it's just, you know, taking care of, you know, the employees, which are the most valuable assets of a company. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, yeah. that is so, so incredible. I love it. I love how, I love how you're trying to change the, the corporate world. This is, this is incredible, Lauren. Thank you. Yeah, my hat off to you. That's 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 amazing. And do you do any one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching? Just with yes. Just okay. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that and share Again, with the audience? 
Yeah, thank you. So basically, if someone's struggling health-wise or they just need to refocus themselves, specifically if they're aged 40 to 55 and female and in a leadership position at work where the stress levels are quite high, that's probably my niche audience. I will then have that chemistry check with somebody and have a conversation to understand what their needs are to get back on track and get focused again. And at the end of the conversation, we will work out together what the best approach for them is. And it, often it will be something simple they can do themselves. Sometimes it'll be working with myself or one of my team, or it may be just some other intervention that I can introduce them to that's appropriate for them. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, this has been so incredible. I really, I really had a good time talking to you today. This is uh, so amazing. I learned so much. Especially the 34 things about menopause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll let you look them up. I wouldn't would, would give you a spoiler on that. So uh, do you want to share um, your website? And, and I'll also list this when, when I post the podcast. I'll list it up so everybody can find your site, find your email address. So you want to give it to us again? Thank you. You've been fantastic to talk to. made it really easy for me. Thank you. So the website and the Facebook page is womenofacertainstage.com and you can find me on Twitter under my own name at Lauren Churin. So awesome. And before we go, I'd just like to ask uh, all entrepreneurs this question. If you had a billboard put up to inspire other entrepreneurs, if you had like a caption, motto, a couple of words to inspire them, could you think of anything to put on that? I wish I could think of something a bit more inspirational, but I have to say what came into my mind the minute you said that was the old Nike, just do it. I love it. I love it. So good. Just do it. Awesome, Lauren. Thank you again for taking the time today with me. This has been incredible. Thank you so much. Really good. And um, I can't wait to get this posted up and uh, have everybody, you know, start sending you some business. Fabulous. And I uh, look forward to reciprocating. Thank you, Lauren. Have a great week, great day and uh, weekend. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. Was that okay? Hey, Richie here. And I want to thank you guys for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if there are any other entrepreneurs out there that, are, that have an amazing story, that they overcome adversity, challenges, and obstacles, Please send me an email at uh, what's up at richiepryor.com, W H A T S, up at richiepryor.com. And in the subject line, put uh, podcast. I'll put whatever you want. I don't give a shit. Just send me an email at that address if you're an entrepreneur and you got an amazing story. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, I love my guests. And uh, thanks again for listening. Peace out.